The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, the two, of, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes For he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here at the end of John, we have this great opportunity to see just how the disciples fared in this moment where they were reeling from this form of loss. They could have been traumatized, we're not quite sure, but we do know that they have experienced a deep loss within this season of their life. And they're trying to figure out, where do we go from here? And as you know, and as I know, 
We are all creatures of some form of habit, and so when we tend to get lost, what do we do? We hang on to the things that we know. We hang on to the things that are familiar. We hang on to the things that have been etched inside of us and have become routine and are very, very ordinary. And for the disciples, that was what? It was fishing. This is what they knew. They knew fish. They knew fish like the back of their hand. In fact, they knew fish so well that you could tell in the retelling of the story. I don't know if you caught some of the details. We get the number of fish that they had hauled in. Only a fisherman would sit down and actually count out 153 fish. But not only that, we get this nice detail that all of the fish were were hauled in, but the net was not torn. Right? So they're paying attention to the equipment. And it's the fish that they turn to when they don't know what else to do. They're going back to that which they know. They're going back to their habits. They're going back to their old routines. And they could be at a little bit of a pivot point here. They could be at a little bit of a watershed moment. Because we all know that during the times when we've experienced some sort of trauma, we have that moment to just give up whatever it is that we learned, whatever it is that we learned about risk, whatever it is that we learned that might be new, and we say, forget it, we're just going to go back to what we know, the old ways were better, that's when we had it all together. They run that risk a little bit, don't they? But we get some clues in this text about how it is that they've made some changes and how those changes are sticking with them even during this time of disorientation. Now, the disciples, as we know, have fished before plenty, but there is a very key thing that's happening in the text that we just read that's different than the previous texts. And you might not have caught it. It just, kind of, it just kind of slips by as a detail. But Peter says this, and it's very clear in the Greek. He says, I am going fishing. It's a singular statement. He's had enough. He is done. He says, I am going fishing. And the disciples then pick up and say something very unique that we don't catch earlier in the Gospels. They say this. They say, we will go with you. We will go with you. You see, here, even at this moment, when they're having some form of loss and where they need redirection, they're experiencing some form of the radical reorientation that they have learned from following the person of Jesus. They have learned not to separate. They have learned to stay together. And so when Peter says, I am going fishing, the disciples say, we will go with you. And friends, that is a very important signal of change for this little community. Because not only have they remembered how to be fishermen, but now they have remembered and they are practicing how to do that together. How to do that together. And friends, I think this matters because it's almost too ordinary to report. 
It almost seems to mean sort of nothing in the whole scope of this chapter where there's all sorts of exciting details going on. But what I love about the Bible and what I love about Jesus and what I love about the Christian faith and what I think we need to hold on to for the future is that sometimes it is just plain in your face, run of the mill. It almost runs the risk of being boring, right? We can all attest to that sometimes. It can be a little boring. And that's actually one of the gifts that the Christian faith has the ability to offer us. Note that there's nothing excessively noteworthy that's happening within the scope of the disciples' life. They're not setting off into the desert at this sort of pivot moment to sort of find themselves within the scope of sort of being alone within the desert. They're not heading onto a pilgrimage. They're not collecting the teachings of Jesus. They're not programming a new following. They're not even staying in Jerusalem to become activists for peace, which is something, by the way, that they could have done within the scope of their culture. But they're not doing that yet. At this point, they're doing their good, old-fashioned, run-of-the-mill, ordinary lives. And they're doing it together. They're doing it together. Now, if I were to ask you about your spiritual life, I wonder what you might say. If you were to ask me about my spiritual life, I have a feeling that what I might reflect on might be something that is completely separate from my run-of-the-mill ordinary life, right? I would probably focus on something different that had happened within the last two months where I really had this picture of God that seemed different to me. I wouldn't focus on the fact that I get up, maybe sometimes I go to the gym, My husband makes a wonderful breakfast for my children. We send them off together into school. I come into the office. We meet and talk about whether or not the rat guy has come. (laughs) You know, it's like, do you really see God in that picture? And yet, what Jesus is saying throughout the scope of this text, what the disciples are going to learn, is that, in fact, that is just how we meet God. That is just how we meet God. Because what is going to happen is that Jesus is going to meet them in their most ordinary space, doing their most ordinary thing, because that is what God does. God just plain meets us wherever we are, whatever we are doing. That is the ordinary reality of the Christian life. Some of you might be familiar with the person of Father James Martin, who is a Jesuit priest who has worked alongside the Catholic Church in helping it to become more open and affirming around the LGBTQ community. But when he, he had an opportunity when he shared in an on-being podcast where he was talking with Krista Tippett, 
And he shared his own conversion story. And he talked about the fact that it happened during the time when he was at home watching a PBS program on TV and that God met him there. And that became sort of this moment of how could God meet you there? And Father James Martin had this brilliant moment in the life of the podcast where he said, God met me there because that is where I was. Right? And that is why Jesus is going to meet the disciples here in this Sea of Tiberias moment when they are in the boat, because that's where they were. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't in the desert. They weren't gathering together a new community. They were in a boat. And that is the ordinary space where Jesus chose to meet them. But here's the thing. And this is going to help all of you to feel a little bit better. Helps me to feel better, for sure. Here's the thing. That God can meet us where we are and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. The disciples did not know it. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus comes and asks them a question. They just say, no, we didn't catch any fish. And then he says, well, throw it off onto the other side. And then one of them says, it's the Lord. And the rest of them aren't sure. So God shows up in our everyday lives. And rarely, rarely do we immediately know it. But you know the clue was to help them to figure it out? They stayed together. You see, they could not figure out that peace without the community of one another. It's the fact that they were all together in the boat, sharing the story as they saw it, that they were able to together say, it's the Lord. And later on in the text, there's this interesting sentence where it says, and maybe you caught this, nobody dared ask if it was Jesus because they all knew that it was him. Okay, well, buried in that sentence is the question, how did they know it was him? Because obviously, it wasn't obvious. They had to sort of hold the secret, the knowing, the space together. They had to figure it out together. They had to sit there together and kind of bear witness and recognize, yeah, I know you know it's him. You know it's him too. Okay, this must be him because nobody dared ask that it was him because they all knew together. You see, at the end of the Gospels, nobody gets to meet Jesus in secret, except, by the way, Mary Magdalene, who we looked at last week. She's the only one, and even she is in the presence of angels, and then she goes to meet other disciples. But nobody gets to meet Jesus in secret. Everyone comes to meet Jesus through community, through regular community, through ordinary community through community that is doing the ordinary work of being together, even in the space of pain and trauma and loss and devastation. They're showing up right where they should be, and that's the place where they meet Jesus. But they wouldn't know it 
unless they were together. So friends, those are our key words for today in this text. Ordinary, authentic, and together. Some of you might remember that over the next five years, actually now four and a half, we are engaged in a project through the Lilly Foundation called Pivot Northwest. And we had some folks come and preach and share a little bit about that project earlier in March to help us learn a little bit more about it. And this is a grant that has gathered together various churches throughout the life, throughout the scope of the Northwest, stretching into eastern Washington and mostly sort of landing within this uh, Seattle corridor area to do some research around the decline of practicing religion within the United States. Okay, that's one of the pieces that this grant is focused on. And it's specifically focused around the work of looking at why is it that young adults, people within sort of between the ages of 22 and I think it's 35, have slowly but surely stopped attending the life of the worship service. And the question that this grant is asking is what are the observations that you see within your community and where are the places that perhaps young adults are plugging in? And as this grant has taken shape, some of the research has been gathered and put together. And they've just released a website that's kind of, that has a way of, of putting a snapshot to some of this data, which we will um, make public as soon as we're able to. But I wanted to, to give you some of the things that folks are noticing. Some of the things that folks are noticing within churches that make them a desirable place for young adults. The first thing that this grant has identified is that the community needs to be a place that offers safety and understanding. It needs to offer safety and understanding. In other words, no longer can the church be a community of shame. No longer can the church be a community where there are certain expectations about the way that one chooses to live. The community needs to offer safety and understanding. The second thing that this grant has identified is that the community needs to give way to social transformation. That somehow being a part of this community needs to be a gateway into engaging the life of faith with the world. Whatever that form of social transformation looks like, the community of faith needs to sort of be a tangential point in which people of faith connect with the world. It can no longer be an isolation. It needs to be the pathway into the world. And the third thing that this grant has noted is that the community needs to be authentic. It needs to be a place where somebody can come and say, I don't believe in God. I'm just trying to figure it out and looking for a place where I can ask questions. It needs to be a place where somebody can say, you know, my kids are living with their partners and I don't know how to enter into a relationship with them where we can even talk about how to organize family. The community needs to be a safe place to have those kind of conversations. The community needs to be a space where we can say, you know, 
The way that I did church when I was a kid is not necessarily the way that I see church happening now, and I'm looking for ways to put those worlds together. You see, friends, that's authentic dialogue, right? And those are the three points that this grant has noted that young adults are looking for. Safety and understanding, social transformation, and authenticity. Well, last week we remembered that these post-Easter snapshots give us an idea into what the life of the church was before it became an institution. And I wonder if you can see those three themes in the text that we just read. Before the institution, before systematic theology, before the cultural revolution, I think that what we see in this text that we read today is ordinary people in a safe and understanding place figuring out how to connect with the world and staying together in an authentic way. That's where they meet Jesus. That's where he is. You might not see him because we need each other in order to be able to do that. Friends, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we don't always see you, even when you're right in front of us, speaking face to face. We need each other to point out, to say to one another, there's the Lord. Lead us into that way of community we ask through your spirit in your name. Amen.